I'm Richard Dodd, and you're listening to the Ecology Academy podcast. This is a show where we get to talk and learn about all things ecological, including interviews with top ecologists, both employers and employees, those working with ecologists, and also aspiring and inspiring career-seeking individuals setting out to make a difference. The show aims to provide you with insights, advice, and inspiration to help you succeed and excel as an effective ecologist and to make a real difference to our natural environment. Hi there, and welcome to another Ecology Academy podcast. I'm your host, Richard Dodd, and in this episode, we'll be looking at how not to quit your job and what you should consider before you leave and what managers should consider helping you stay. Now, this episode is just me, so it's just my thoughts and that I've been thinking about and put together um, for this month. Now, I very much welcome your input. So what I'm going to say is my experience and so a little bit about my own research I've been undertaking over the past few weeks of how to put together this podcast uh, about how not to quit your job. So it's very much, I'm going to give you a little bit of tips and insight into my own company, Wildwood Ecology, and um, what we do, but equally so, just my own personal thoughts about why people leave and what would make people stay and what employers, what companies should be doing to ensure they are retaining great talent. Now, it won't come as a massive surprise to you that quitting a job is actually really difficult and many of us are going to do it at least once in our sort of life and in sort of our career journey. But how do you do it? So there's no real guidebook, is there? I mean, I, I cannot find a guidebook of actually how to quit your job successfully. Um, there's no real company policy or procedures. Yes, there may be something in your contract, which will say about your termination period and things like this, but there's no real procedure, no, no standard operating procedure. And why would there be from a company to actually how you should go about quitting your job? Uh, and there are very few people you can really talk to um, about this as well. So how you sort of quit that job. But many of us have heard probably about this, the great resignation post-COVID. And you know, the abundance of people are re-evaluating re their lives and deciding to quit their day job and either go solo, um, making themselves as a, a freelance ecologist, for instance, or maybe moving to another company. Uh, they joined uh, what they thought they should have joined, you know, pre-pandemic. So there's a bit of a sort of um, this alignment, this reshifting going on. So we've all heard about this great resignation. Well, it turns out that the great resignation is not totally that much of an outlier, um, but the numbers are still you know, clearly substantial. Um, so resignations, and now I've done a little bit of research into this, resignations were actually really quite high at the end of 2019, if we can remember that far back, just prior to this global pandemic. And numbers are returning to that high level once more as we adjust to this sort of, I suppose, a new way of life in 2022 and, and beyond. So over the past year, people have been leaving jobs, mostly in retail and hospitality, and a whopping, this is this what really staggers me, a whopping 41% of the global workforce are considering quitting. So maybe, um, maybe you're in a position to quit, but many are not. Either they have not found a job to jump to or are dependent upon the job to support their lifestyle or families. So they are dependent on their job despite being unhappy at work. And for those of us quitting, um, they why are we quitting? Well, we're often leaving bad jobs with low salaries, poor working conditions, or as we are increasingly finding, poor managers. 
And it's a sad state of affairs that we'd actually, you know, we are suffering um, from bad managers and leaders um, in uh, sort of our industry. But people, plenty of people are leaving seemingly good jobs as well. So why is that? So researchers have found three main reasons. The first is a little bit obvious. The first one is burnout. People are being working from home. You know, you wake up in your pajamas or whatever it is, if you wear pajamas. Um, we swamp with work and we're working longer hours. And this is a generalization, you know, but um, research from the Gallup, um, Gallup, you know, the people that create the Gallup poll originally, but um, I found out that yeah, you're working longer hours. We're substituting the daily commute with time at the screen. And we're off to starting straight away, as I said, you know, straight away, you jump out of bed, you know, you know, have a bit of breakfast, or maybe you're eating breakfast whilst you're actually checking those emails at the, the breakfast table. So, you know, we're actually getting into some really bad habits. And this is leading to increased amount of work because we're taking on an increased amount of work during that day itself. So we're not working nine to five anymore. We're sort of starting 7.30, maybe have a little break, and then going on to even in the evenings because we now we have the technology to enable us to actually take it onward. So we, burnout is going to be certainly one of the highest reasons why people are actually considering quitting. The second, now this is about a fear of getting sick or dying. So it's a time to consider, especially, you know, as one matures, um, if you've lived a life of fulfillment, uh, a life of few regrets. And you may, people are considering, well, I don't want to regret not setting up my own company or maybe working for in this line of industry, setting out on my passions. You know, so, you know, people say, follow your passion, follow your dream. And people are realizing this, that they have the opportunity to do so. So people are looking at the meaning of their life, the meaning of the, what work is, and they're seeking a career with that purpose that they can really relate to. And thirdly, people have also had a taste of freedom. So, you know, if you really do, you know, you hated that commute, didn't really get on with going to the office at all, now we've had a taste of that freedom and we want more of it, you know, especially if people and companies are saying, you've got to return to the office now, and they don't really give you a full justification for doing so. Uh, I mean, you know, there's been something in, the, in obviously the news recently about, uh, you know, uh, certainly about our prime minister, for, you know, <laughs> very much encouraging people to return to the office because all we're doing is drinking coffee and eating cheese or something like that from the fridge. So uh, very much, um, I think, misplaced sort of um, comments from our own prime minister there. But um, yeah, we've had a sense of freedom. We want to experience more of that autonomy and to start with for ourselves. And we, you know, we're starting to feel you know, a lot more empowered. But before quitting, I would, uh, I would, uh, an element of caution, should we say? So some, pe some people, and you may be one of these people, experience some form of regret. Um, of leaving their current place of work. Now, why is that? So even though people have left their job because they were dissatisfied, they became even more dissatisfied in their new jobs for several years later. And there's all that old adage that the grass looks greener far away, but not so much up close. So it's something that we, some people you know, may have regretted actually leaving their job. Now, if you have a depressing job, an abusive boss, poor working conditions, and can afford to leave, do it. I mean, I think there's no reasons, there's no real draw for you to stay within that sort of environment, those toxic work environments. But if your job is tolerable, 
then it's harder to know when or how to leave. So if you're considering quitting, uh, workplace evidence identifies that you should consider three factors before doing so. And these are having a voice, loyalty, and alternatives. So voice, consider, you know, do you have a say in improving your current position? So good employers will actually listen to your concerns and may be able to alleviate or even remove some of those issues that you face from uh, either daily um, sort of battles you know, uh, that you may face or something that comes around periodically. So it may be that you don't like part of that role. You may have been shoehorned into managing people, for instance. Now you're a senior ecologist uh, with little or no support. Now, the sign of a good employer is one that will listen and more importantly, act where possible to address these problems and actively work alongside you to reach some sort of an amicable uh, solution. Now, the risk of not discussing this with your current employer, you know, tackling that, uh, that tackling that thorny issue, is that you may find yourself in a similar position in your new company. You know, and you know, you all of a sudden you found out that do you know what? Uh, you know, it's it's happening again. It's happening again to me. Why is this? And I think it's a little bit of self sabotage. You know, we working for a new company, which I think this explains why we get serial jumpers from company to company. You know, we actually, as an employer you know, at Wildwood Ecology, for instance, we see CVs coming in and we see that serial jumper for one, you know, maybe been in a position for two years, moved on, two years and moved on again. And it's, I think, you know, I think the person here needs to ask themselves, right, well, what could I have done to actually improve my conditions? And I think having that voice, having that conversation with your employer tackle it head on, doesn't matter how uncomfortable it is, take a deep breath, face the uncomfortable issue, and then maybe you'll discover that in your voice is actually worth listening to, and employers really do care. Now, going to the second one, loyalty. Now, what do I mean by loyalty? Well, how much do you care about your company's vision and values? Do they actually hold a vision and and, and values as well? I know at a, you know I say again using my own company as an as an uh, as an example you know we certainly have been creating that vision for the past five ten years um, you know creating that you know why people want to work for us and why do we exist what is the purpose of our company what are we striving for and that's something that we hold quite strongly so does your company hold a vision and do you align to that vision also the values of that company you know if you value for instance hard work and uh, you know uh, high degrees of support do you get that from your company is those the values that your company actually offers to you you know uh, so you know our, our, our company you know we're offering you know, we we, we we know we truly support our individual um, employees here. So, do you get that support? Is there a sense of vision? Do you align to the you know the vision and the values of your company itself? Now, um, and how strongly are those interactions with the values and vision of the company? You may you know you may tolerate it if you get actually do you know what it's not too bad a vision or you know okay I agree with one out of the five values that um, this company holds. Is that enough to actually keep you there or not? So I think it may be appropriate to then, um, you know, if, you, if you're if you not getting a sense of alignment with those visions or values, then maybe look at the third question about career alternatives. So as well as being pushed away from work, what uh, that you currently do, is there anything that you feel pulled towards? So what aspects of your work do you really love or excel at? Are you drawn to an alternative employer? It may be that... Um, 
you know, you've worked in a, in a, a small consultancy, and the draw of a large consultancy really seems that you know that that uh, is where you're heading towards. What is that draw? Why is that alternative provider, uh, supplier, um, you know, company? What what is it that attracts you to them really? Um, what, what, and again, it probably goes back to those values. So look at that, you know. So and equally so, if you're moving from a large ecological consultancy or a multinational company, for instance. You may have had your belly full of certain aspects of your career, you know, the role you're in. What is it that attracts you to an alternative provider, an alternative company? So have a look at that. Um, I mean, and, and, and there are so many more options now to, to look at. Can you, for instance, you can switch career paths. Um, so, you know, looking, does your new employer or your new employer, potential new employer, are they open to negotiation discussions with flexible working arrangements, reduced hours, maybe a job share? Um, it could be that you know sideways um, uh, uh, movements. You know, rather than actually looking that ladder style um, uh, career progression, as we see from assistant to a college consultant, ecologist to senior to principal to associate, and you know that sort of linear approach that doesn't suit everyone. So, are there alternative directions you could go in? Does your employer offer, as we do at Wildwood Ecology, like a tech more of a technical role? So, some people are not quite suited to managing people you know to get on with people but maybe not so much in terms of looking after them and making them excel and shine compared with you more focused upon your technical aspects of the, the job itself so is there a sideways movement you can actually go into does your current employer or a future or an alternative provider offer you that but do your research before you start quitting but if you do decide to quit, how should you do it without burning bridges? Okay, so as any new employer will probably want a reference from your current employer, and it's not forthcoming, they're going to ask questions. They're going to ask, well, why, you know, the alarm bells are going to start ringing. Why, you know, why can't this person offer me, you know, a reference? You know, what, what is it about the previous employer? You know, is it that it just didn't get on? You know, and so, so thoughts go through our head as employers. Why isn't a, a reference coming from from those uh, from from the previous uh, applicants? You know, particularly if if you're going to put down them as your referee um, from a previous employee you know, from previous company. Now, uh, uh, now sometimes we get this, and, I, and this is something I think we need to change within our industry, and not just our industry, <laughs> lots of different industries and sectors. We get a standardised response back from an employer as in the only thing that they, they can say um, is and it's probably come from the HR department that yes this person worked for us in this company at this role we, you know, we can confirm that they won't give you very much more than that and I think this is something that we need to look at you know that actually you know when per, when you know unfortunately you know we do get people leaving our own company as well so when people leave uh, us you know we and people ask for a reference we will give uh, an honest reference. You know why we employ that person. Would we would we welcome them back and and so forth? And what role do they do? What what sort of um, position do they hold? What attributes? I think it's vital. I think it's necessary. You know, I'd want that as an employer, and I can see why some employers. Uh, you know, for when an employee is leaving, may not want to do that. It could be that uh, uh, they don't want to open themselves up to any sort of. Um, Repercussions, you know, especially if it didn't get a job, that employee didn't get a job. Why did you give me a bad reference? You know, and I think it's that lit um, you know, litigation may, may may creep in. But um, you don't want to burn those bridges. Go back to that. Go back to about burning bridges. 
Um, so, you, you, you know, as, and you know, if you leave an employer and decide it was a mistake, for instance, you want to be, make, you know, you, may, you don't want to burn those bridges, you may want to go back. So, it's a, not, so although it may seem like a great idea at the time um, to actually you know, tell your boss exactly what you think, it may not be the right option for you at all. Um, so, you know, if you do come, come back to the company, and it could be because that job has been withdrawn, uh, itself, or it could be that uh, um, you know there's a delay, for instance, uh, for that uh, um, uh, for for the role itself. Um, you, you may not get your job back, um, and if you do, your working relationship with the company or your colleagues will certainly have changed. So you want to make sure that if you do leave a company, that you leave on good terms. Now, the normal dynamics of a workplace is that the employer holds power over a retaining or dismissing employee. And when that power shifts to the employee, then sometimes this surge of power may change an individual's behavior, which can manifest, manifest itself in some pretty ugly ways. Now, there have been examples, and I'm sure if you go to YouTube and you know you reach out onto social media, you'll see examples of, of, of this, you know, people swearing, shouting in meetings. Even, even actually having uh, organising mass demonstrations uh, outside companies, um, how, uh, companies' um, offices. So you know, and, and sort of vengeful actions, you know, away from the office um, to the environment, to a person's property or a person or persons outside the work environment. And that could be either online or in person. And I mean, some people sometimes you may be even be tempted to steal a bit of bits of stationery, paper, and equipment, or maybe. As we've seen this, indulge in a little bit of sabotage, such as deleting important company files, um, and uh, you know even removing them from the, you know from from the office themselves, and you so you can use them for for your company or just as you say just for a vengeful act. And although it may feel good at the time, um, getting one back on either the boss from hell or a company that passed you up promotion, in the cold light of day, it places you in a state of regret. I think that's the thing, you know, you get into a state of regret and which could stay probably with you longer than it takes to get back those deleted files. So if you are considering handing in your resignation, then you may wish to consider the following. Firstly, unless you're in some sort of an alternative form of contract, you're probably going to have to write a letter of resignation. So read your contract of employment. Hopefully if you kept one. So it's difficult to ask. So as soon as you start asking, oh, by the way, boss, uh, um, do you have the, my contract to hand? They're going to go, why? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a good thing, a bit of housekeeping when you do start uh, work, you know, just find out where your contract is and also any updates to that. So your first contract may be uh, updated through some other form of communication. So some other document that comes through. So just, uh, you know, you may get extra leave or actually rather than one month's notice, you have to give three months' notice because you're a senior and you forgot to mention that, you know, sorry, you forgot about that when the letter of promotion came through. You just focused upon that uh, extra salary and all the extra condition, the extra sort of um, bonuses you would get for that and failed to notice that actually, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm going to give three months' notice now. So check out that. Check out your, your letter of um, your contracts and any, any further information. Um, and and you make your letter of resignation clear and concise. Leave no room for any ambiguities and tell your employer you're resigning and give them the right length of notice starting the day after you leave the, the letter itself. Now, you, 
again, it's a personal choice, but you don't have to put in a reason why or tell them how bad or good they've been as an employer. You can probably tell them that later on, but I would probably refrain from doing anything negative, uh, as I've previously mentioned. So, and, and don't agonize and filling a whole A4 sheet. You know, just a few formal lines is all it takes. Then you can directly hand it over to your HR department, if you have one, your head of department or your immediate line manager. So, you know, it's a physical form, physical copy. Now, if you're going to, if you do have to email your resignation, or maybe if you've considered even a text message using WhatsApp, for instance, we've seen them, we've seen, you know, um, not, not in our company, but you know, I've heard about people resigning via text message or, uh, you know, via email. I would really think twice. Now, is this really the way you want to leave an employer? Uh, because, you know, to someone open up an email or text message, it's going to seem cold. It's going to seem underhand. And to be honest with you, it's downright rude. And it can place your start of your departure, you know, the, the act, this act here, straight away, you're on the wrong foot. So get the process off to the good start and have that, you know, face-to-face conversation. Now, that may not work for everyone and you know there may be you know you may be still be working from home for instance so if that is not the case and you're able to meet in person then a video or maybe a phone call is your next best option and in fact the phone may be better suited to some people you know especially if you, you've really really despise confrontation maybe your line manager doesn't like confrontation um, so maybe the phone call could be the best alternative um, and because you know you're trying to avoid that or anticipate a really bad response from the receiver. And so, when's the best time to, best time to hand in your notice? Anyone? So, uh, I think most people would argue that it's going to be right at the end of the day. You know, the, the, right at the end of the day, you've done your work, you've been thinking about it, you know, you've been in a really strange mood the whole day, and everyone's maybe picked up on it as well. So, all of a sudden, just before the end of your day, hand it in your notice, and you drop that bombshell, and then you run. So that way you can avoid any awkwardness if you're leading a bad, toxic company. Then I think that's that's the way forward, really. You know, if you are leaving a bad or toxic company, probably leaving it to the end of the day is probably going to be the best thing for you. Um, however, if you're leaving a good company, then you may wish to consider an alternative approach that will probably set you up for that uh, that positive exit. Uh, and it will benefit you all. It will benefit you, benefit the employer, and it also will benefit your colleagues. Um, and it will give them... it'll. You know, consider maybe handing it in maybe in the morning. Okay, first thing in the morning. You know, and if you've got some really good relationship with your uh, your line manager or employer, or maybe in the afternoon, for instance. And what, why why do this? Why not just leave it to the end of the day, Richard? You know, because it, it clearly that's what most people expect. Well, you know, I say it, it gives people time to actually make some plans, maybe a bit of forward planning. So give some consideration to a morning or afternoon drop off, but. Really, don't overthink it. Just do it. I think the the act is more important than sort of um, you know the procrastination of actually when's the best time. So, but you know, that, those are my little thoughts there. And also remember that as soon as you give in your notice and you inform a person that you're leaving, that rumor mill is going to start churning away. Now, and you're no longer in full control. Going back to that power shift, for instance, you had the power. Here's my notice, boss go away, <laughs> don't do that, <laughs> but you know, here's my notice, um, uh, but as soon as you do that, you are no longer in control about how and when people are informed about your departure. You may want to discuss that, 
Uh, I think that's going to be open discussion with your employer. You may want to discuss it straight away, or you may have written it down into the into your uh, uh, your letter of resignation. But really, it's down to the employer. You know, it's it's how they act. So you, I say you're not no longer in full control. So when you deliver your notice, either in person or by phone, just like your letter, you've got to be clear and concise. And 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 I would also advocate practicing maybe the night before how you're going to deliver that letter and the conversation you're going to go through so maybe work you know if you are really anxious about handing in your letter because you you know you've got this sense of letting people down and you don't want to let people down because it's not one of your values so just run through it the night before of how you're going to produce it when you're going to do it is it going to be the morning is it going to be afternoon is it the last thing in in the evening before you leave um don't do the email don't do the um the text message um but you know how are you going to do it what you're going to say, what, and more importantly, what are you not going to say? You know, go back to that point about, uh, uh, you know, getting into some sort of slanging match with your employer. So, yeah, be clear and concise about that. Because a typical response from a person receiving your resignation is also going to be a moment of awkwardness. You know, it's, it's not either they're not expecting it uh, at all, and it's taken aback. You know, and all of a sudden, you know, they're frust- they're, <laughs> they're going to be off guard, and they may say things that they may regret a bit later on. So, and you don't want to get into some sort of slanging match. You know, they're going to get they, some people may get annoyed. Hopefully not. Hopefully, well, <laughs> expletives won't be shouted out at all uh, out of their mouths. So, my advice is that that benefits both parties would be to arrange a time either later in that day and certainly no later than the following day to have a conversation about the about the situation to evaluate the situation um you know there's no immediate need to have that exit interview now for instance so um, you know you put forward your reasons in your letter which you or they can discuss um once their emotions both your emotions and their emotions have had time to sort of um, recalibrate and when it comes to notice periods, then you should, again, looking going back to your contract or formal letters, the updates to your contract, make sure that you put that into your resignation letter. Typically, um, I think termination lengths are either one or maybe two months. Sometimes it's even three months, as I say, for senior members of the team. So it's definitely worth checking. So has something changed, you know, uh, you know, uh, and, and can you prove that? You know, have you got the latest contract there? Or how confident are you got you've got the latest contracts? However, you know, if you are looking for maybe an earlier opportunity to leave, or maybe you want to stay on for a bit longer than that, say you've got one month's notice period, you may want to leave earlier because of certain circumstances, uh, or you may want to leave three months later because you want to finish a project. You know, you've actually in good empl- uh, for good employers, for instance, you may want to help them out and go. Do you know what? I, I know I've only got a month's notice here, but is there any opportunity to extend that to three so I can finish this project and hand it on properly? Because that's you know that's one of the values that you really really hold. So um, it, it, you know, um, intonate that within your your open letter, your letter, the termination letter itself. And when it comes to employees leaving, of which there will always be a few, even in good companies, I've experienced. I say that range of notice periods and I say they're from straightforward one month notice periods to a negotiated three month extensions, rolling terminations, termination with immediate effect, sometimes called gardening leave. So if you ever hear the term garden leave, it's like, okay, thanks for coming. You're going to dismiss you and there's no need for you to carry on working today. Uh, Pack your bags, off you go. Um, and thank you very much. And um, you know, we'll tell. You know, we'll we'll deal with the aftermath. And there could be various reasons for that. Um, you know, but um, 
you know, so immediate effect. And even, you know, we've also brought people back after a month, they've quit the job, they've actually left, and we've actually brought them back um, after the notice period has come to an end. So, there's, so there, you know, the, so these are the reasons why you need to leave on good terms with your current employer. Even with bad ones, you know, make sure that you live on good terms <laughs> with, with them and give them no cause for sort of, um, sort of complaints. So why negotiate? Well, most good employers consider the disruption of their departure to either their colleagues or the company, and usually both. Now, they intuitively don't want to leave, you know, employees don't want to leave under a, a cloud and be that person that either, um, you know, rocked the boat or, or, heavens forbid, you know, even sunk the ship. So either consciously or subconsciously, good employees leave on good terms, even with bad companies. So, and as already mentioned, the person exiting usually needs something from that transaction, perhaps a reference or laying the foundations for a possible return uh, sometime in the future, or maybe even to lure or persuade people to move away from a toxic company. The take-home message is that it does not always have to be the contracted termination period. And so, if you are, you and your employer are open to discussion, then both parties should feel confident that an alternative exit may be possible. Now, the unwelcome news for an employer. Uh, particularly, well, I say particularly medium and large companies, is when an employee leaves, then others may follow. Now, now this has been lovely, and is delightfully coined as termination contagion. So those left behind may begin to question, why? Is there something wrong where I am? Or why didn't I spot it first? Is there a better job I'm missing? What extra work is coming my way? And that's usually sort of thought process. And it is usually, okay, well, that, oh, they're going, I'm, I'm happy for them. Uh-oh, what about me? Uh, so when one employee steps up and leaves, others may have the confidence to follow their lead. So the first thing an employer should be aware of once an employee is handed in their termination letter is to manage that contagion, if you say, if I say. So, and let's put it this way, the cost of an employee leaving a company is considerable. So both, you know, well, administratively, financially, uh, from a product, you know, productivity point of view, and emotionally. So, what should an employer be doing to minimise these good people from leaving? Okay, well, you may have at some point in your career been asked to participate in an exit interview as a departing employee. Now, if you if you have, uh, let me know if you have been into an exit interview. What was it like? Did you enjoy it? <laughs> did, did, did your employer enjoy it? You know, what did they get from it? And what, what was the purpose of it? Were you extremely open or or closed? The trouble is that you know either the employee may be reluctant to divest the real reasons of why they're quitting, and the employer equally doesn't want to know the truth, especially if they think they're going to be. It's about them, you know, about their failings as a manager or as a leader. So, you know, it, it's not a fully open sort of dialogue. The exit interview. So it's much better to identify potential issues and understand them before an employee decides to leave. So you can potentially minimise their likelihood of departure and build that better workplace culture. And so employers should consider conducting what we use in Wildwood Ecology uh, as known as a, a stay interview or at least a periodic staff survey. And as I said, this is something that we've implemented at Wildwood Ecology, and it's opened up some it's opened up some very honest opinions that we may have never have 
ever found out just by you know not by not asking. So it's it's it, they're proved really really useful. So I mean our stay interviews are undertaken by um, the, the employee's line manager, and they're either woven into or created as part of our frequent one-to-one meetings. And we implement we you know we implement quarterly reviews with every employee. Every every quarter, they, every employee will get um, a review. And it's an opportunity to then to discuss uh, about what makes an employee stay. Equally, what would make them leave? You know, what is it that they love about the job? What parts of the job don't they aren't, aren't they so fired up about? And also a great opportunity to talk about career developments, looking at um, you know potential future promotions there. So looking at uh, what and it's open discussion. You know, and, and we have a career framework document, for instance. They can look at that and go, okay, you know, what well, I'm working towards this from our last meeting. You were here. We've re- you know, this is our t- opportunity now to discuss where you are on this career sort of um, you know the, the scale itself. And also, if they, it really op- opens up that ability to discuss. I, I know I'm heading towards a management position, but it's something I need a little bit more support on or understanding. Can you give that to me? So, because a lot of people really do leave because the next stage of their their progression is going to be managing a whole bunch of people, managing very complex projects, and it's something that they're really not looking forward to. You know, they're great ecologists, but they may not be looking forward to actually opening that uh, conversation up about um, management. And if that's the only thing you're going to have to offer, then, well, yeah, you know, this this is going to come up in those um, stay interviews. So, and staff surveys, so those annual ones, staff surveys can also substitute part of that analysis, but they're often seen as a senior management initiative and their purpose is to gauge really about longer term trends within a company. And in my opinion, I think there's room for both. But as a company, Wellwood, you know, we find better engagement and results from our quarterly meetings we conduct. We also have weekly meetings, catch up meetings, but they're usually like a team meeting. But it's open having those doors open to people to say, you know, if you've got an issue, you know, don't leave it to the quarterly meeting. Let's have that conversation now. You know, it may be that you know, work and life do blend together you know you can't separate the two out if you've had a bad experience at home you're going to have some of that bringing it you know bringing that into the office you know and um, you know whether that be you know uh, yeah whether it be you know a relationship you're having either with a a partner or um, you know a child or or you know member of family or a friend for instance we're going to bring some of that with us um, to the workplace and equally so we take it away with us too so they're not future you know mutually exclusive you know work and life they are one you know we can't really separate out and people who do separate out work and life you're probably not you know they've probably got two, you can't have two separate values one for work one for life and this is where the problems can lie you know burnout for instance or um, so you know make sure you're having those conversations and say so in my opinion I think we can have both the quarterly uh, meetings as well as the these annual sort of um, staff surveys uh, and they're going to reveal signs of burnout or training issues as well as identify as I said when someone's ready for a promotion so think of the state say interview, you know, whether you're an employer or an employee, you know, as a sort of smoke detector. So it's like an early warning tool that can prevent a fire, i.e. someone leaving from occurring. Now, a stay interview should seek to get to the root causes of why an employee stays with a company, and as I say, conversely, what would make them leave. The line manager should therefore provide an opportunity for an employee to give open and honest feedback about what they find rewarding and enjoy doing and equally what's unrewarding and potentially detrimental to them staying. But it's an employee's actions 
that will ultimately matter to that employee. So you can have the great conversations, we can talk about this as much as we like, but if nothing gets done, we're gonna get frustrated. If they lay their cards on the table, so if you know, if as an employer, you know, if, employee, sorry, if you lay your cards on the table and nothing changes, nothing gets done, nothing gets actioned, it's just all hearsay. You, you know, you're going to be very reluctant to engage in that exercise a second time. So, a real intention to act by an employer is essential. Now, there may have of course some feedback that an employer may not be able to act upon immediately, such as removal of certain or essential deliverable tasks that the employee that employee perceives, and that's I think that's the key word there. The employee perceives them as unrewarding. Now, in these instances, the employer should all also be honest and open, and either validate why they are essential and cannot be dropped from their job, uh, job role or work alongside them to find some sort of an alternative pathway and, and give them a timeline as well. I think that's it. You know, when something's like, oh, yeah, we know, we'll look into that for you. Okay, by when? Who's going to do it? You know, so it's that, again, those smart sort of objectives. You know, uh, who's going to look into it? When can I expect a response back? You know, it's usually, I mean, say, if you're doing those quarterly meetings, you can expect, you know, uh, uh, something back by the end of that quarter or certainly an update. Now, I say, although stay interviews are an important way to identify satisfaction and dissatisfaction, it's by no means the only tool an employer should use to retain skilled staff. So it sort of goes without saying that a fair wage for a fair day's work is also necessary. Now, paying your employers well and ensuring they have a fulfilling, fulfilling and rewarding role while spent at work are essential elements that an employer needs to get right to minimise, and I hate this word, churn. You know, so again, it's one of these HR words you know, that we, they tend to use. Now, it's, it's worth employers taking note that although their employees may say they're not in it for the money, <laughs> that does not mean that you should not review remuneration from time to time. Now, over the past couple of years, uh, we've been living under and working under a, a COVID cloud, and, and few employers have had either the time or inclination to review or modify salaries. We've also seen very recently increases in energy costs and the price of, well, pretty much everything as we see supply chains uh, problems from our reliance on global imports in conflict areas, including those in uh, currently war-torn Ukraine. So what brought home a pay review for many of us, including myself, was that we, when we tried to recruit for senior roles within our company, uh, we were met with either few or, or no applica applications for those roles. And this is really worrying. This is really, really worrying and you know, to, to me and to our whole industry. So what has happened for, to see that significant shortfall in skilled professionals professionals within our industry? Now, I'll be quite open here and, and honest. You know, I've got my own thoughts. And for me, I mean, I started seeing this, this sort of one-way migration before COVID was even on the scene. So over the past five to 10 years, maybe a bit longer, I mean, I think, I think ecologists have been slowly sucked away from small and medium-sized companies to work for larger and more corporate companies. And these are going to be working upon larger scale infrastructure projects. You know, I can see the lure. You know, it's going to be, you know, better pay and uh, working, uh, well, you know, those benefits you get, you know, the, the holiday allowances and, and so forth. And I you know the, the people get lured away with that. And I'm, I'm sure you can think of one particular infrastructure project where the impact of this has had a, a, it's left a huge scar on our industry. And we're going to feel this for many years to come. Now, I believe that over the past decade, professional consulting ecologists have experienced a seismic shift in what they now do compared with why they originally decided to start a career 
as an ecologist and why, why it was for them. Now, some companies are taking away I've, what I think is the very core of what it is to be an ecologist. Now, essentially, an ecologist is someone who studies relationships among species and habitats and applies that knowledge to the environment. Okay, so yeah, someone who studies relationships among species and habitats and applies that knowledge to the environment. And placing them in a project management role, supervising contractors and managing people, that was never in the original job description as an ecologist, but they say it's what you need to do in order to progress. Yeah, yeah, you can see that, you know, it's a senior, sorry, you're going to have to manage people, you're going to have to manage that project, you're going to have to do as I say, basically. And we're going to take you away, we're going to strip away what you found, because you're not, yeah, they're going to say, yeah, well, we're, you know, you're too expensive to send out on a survey anymore. You know, we can't do that. And so you get on with it, and pretty soon, without warning, you're a manager on a pretty decent salary, um, only now you sort of either, you know, at best you may tolerate your job. And by the way, this is generalization. I'm sure some people love the management side and this is what we're getting at now. Some people love management, people management, and some people loathe it. But when you're forced into that position, this is where it gets complicated and it's an issue for industry. So either, you know, in, in the best case scenario, you may tolerate that position, um, but it does lead to some people actually hating their job. And before you know it, you're gone. And people used to think that you, I mean, you know, you ask your friends, when people say in a party, you know, like, uh, what do you do? Oh, I'm an ecologist. What is that? What do you do there? Oh, you know, I, oh, you tell them about it. And people used to think that, you, people used to think your job was cool. You know, looking after bats, newts, counting plants and butterflies in the middle of a sunny field. But now, in 2022, you're working off a laptop, in your car, or you're on a site waiting for a contractor to turn up, if they ever do and start ripping up parts of the environment you wish you were studying. So you leave alongside many others and companies are left bereft of talented ecologists just like you. Um, just when they need, and, and just when we need you the most. So and this, is the, this is the real rub about things now, is that uh, you know with um, uh, climate and ecological emergency, we're seeing people leave our industry, you know, working on going into whatever, you know, maybe into a completely alternative career uh, itself and leaving the ecological sector behind and as I say just when we need need those people the most but what if all that could change and employers could find and retain employees who loved managing people and overseeing challenging projects well they can but only if they invest in their people beyond the pay packet you know we've all seen instances of people being lured away with that um, I mean ridiculous amounts of money uh, to go and work on a project and yeah if pay is the most important value to you yeah okay okay you're gonna find it hard to actually get uh you know you're not, you're not going to turn that down are you but uh for most of us you know uh you know our values and lies somewhere else you know else really it's not just about uh, um the money at the end of the day so um you, you know you see us ecologists we are a te technical bunch of people who do indeed love looking after, bat uh, looking after bats, newts and counting butterflies uh, and plants. Uh, and not only in the middle of sunny fields. Now we're curious, we're passionate about the environment and we have spent many years working towards a role that gives us that purpose and brings out our inner geek. Just hang out on any social media platform, anyone you like, TikTok, 
uh, Instagram, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever, and just look at the photographs and posts made showing that passion to others. It's there. It is there clearly for you to see. It, yeah, we all get fired up about it. And it's usually the assistant ecologists that are actually putting these photographs out. You know, you know, it's very rare you actually get senior members of the team actually posting stuff like this because we rarely get to do it. Um, so just, just think about that. What we tend not to do so well and have been unlikely been supported for is career progression into roles that require us to directly engage with colleagues, clients and contractors. And many employers are setting their employees and themselves up for either failure or frustration. Uh, I'm talking about the role of senior employees and specifically their role as a manager of people. Now, many of us perceive ourselves, uh, if we're in this role, as bad managers. And we either blame ourselves or in a toxic company, believe it or not, uh, there are others that are going to do the blaming for you. So you don't have to look too hard in, in toxic company. You know, Others will say, oh, well, you're a poor manager. Now, as a manager, you've got a tough job to do, and employers should be upping their game to help the senior team become better managers and leaders. Now, although employers recognize that training courses for technical ecologists are essential, and we see a range of those, you know, we offer them their courses ourselves on the Ecology Academy platform there. You know, you could do primary ecological appraisal, primary roost assessments, legislation, and uh, report writing, and, all, and so forth, and introduction to QJS. It's all there. Um, but, you know, the, the, what tends to get overlooked are management courses. And just as the delivery team will need the right investment of technical skill training, they will equally need guidance, support, mentoring, and be held accountable for project delivery. So they're going to need a manager who knows how to make them and the company shine. And that's not a role, as many are expected to, you can just learn on the job. You know, it's not, it's not something you just pick up straight away. Some people say managers... Uh, you know, it's within us. If you're a people manager, you probably you know, it's inherited. It's within you already. You know, you don't need training. You just know how to manage people. But it is a management. You know, there are management courses. Therefore, management skills can be trained. But you're right. You know, it's easier if you've got a passion for managing people and want to do it. You want to bring out the best in people. And it may be, and that's going to be mainly with the reason why I think staff are leaving. So employers. If you really want to retain great talent within your company and help solve the many problems that we need your technical t teams to solve, then now's the time to invest in your current and emerging management team. So here are my top three tips in developing a balanced team. So firstly, you've got to find the right level of support and training they individually need. Now, for some of your management team, as I say, they've already equipped with those satisfactory, you know, satisfactory or even better, you know, level of personal and those interpersonal skills, and they so they may simply just need to be refined. Okay, so those are some people. I say those people who probably, you know, it's got in, it's inherent within them already. They've got an ability to actually inspire people straight away. You know, you you can probably see them in the, in the management team in in the in your uh, company already. But don't forget. The quiet people really, really don't. You know, you know, just because someone's an extrovert doesn't mean they're going to be a great manager. You may find that talent sitting right in front of your nose, and you may not realise it because that person's quiet. So don't forget the introverts in your company, and they may need a lot more support to get them into the right level. And you know, and, and some of them may not be both the extroverts and introverts may not be suited to a management role. So you need to identify. Quickly, you know these individuals, and that's the beauty about these quarterly in, in, interviews. You know, sorry, not interviews, 
quarterly meetings, catch up meetings about the people, uh, with people. So, I'd, you know, and as I say, they're individuals. You can't just label as in this is what we do as a company. So you need to identify the needs of the individual. And now, although it may seem like a great idea to send all your team on the same management course, it may not be suitable for all of them, and it may even result in demoralizing some of them and lead to overall poor company performance. For instance, like we at uh, Wildwood, we send, um, you know, we sent, um, uh, we, we were just starting to trial this now with um, a, a Vistage group. So have a look at Vistage um, with our management, and it's a two-year course. And that suits the individual that's on this course at the moment. It really should just suit them. We've talked about it. They're really keen to go on the course. Now, we've got also got another senior manager within our company. And we're going to have a conversation about that course, but it may not be right for them. So it's just because we offer that course to one person doesn't mean we should offer it to, to every person. There may be a better route for that individual to go down rather than this Vistage course. Our role as managers and leaders is to identify the right level that will guide, support, and make them shine as individuals. Okay, so don't think that just one size fits all. Secondly, you may discover that through your quarterly meetings or one-to-one -one appraisals that some employees, again, for whatever reasons, are just not cut out to be people managers. They love what they're doing and performing and the technical side, but the idea of client or even colleague relationship management just fills them with dread. As I said before, do not ignore these people. They may, they may not fit a traditional ladder-style career promotion pathway, as I said at the start of this um, podcast, um, but they should, that should not be excluded them from development. You, know, you may consider, I say, that lateral career pathway, a career progression that probably utilizes their strengths. It's very easy to build on strengths. People say about strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, I mean, if, if you've got a passion for something, a strength is something you're going to excel at. I want to do it more of that, you know, and you're going to, you're going to get leaps and bounds. Your weaknesses are weaknesses for a reason. And yeah, it may be a lack of realisation. Do you know what? Actually, you do need encouragement. And you are good at this. You just didn't realise at the time. But some weaknesses, you're going to get marginal gains. And so you don't want to force things. You know, So it's very much about listening to the individual. So play to their strengths. And as I say, at Worldwood, you know, we have developed a technical ecologist role for people who thrive on detail and are task-orientated rather than actual people-orientated. That's a new role we've created. You know, it's sitting there. So if someone, you know, we, we want to retain great talent. So we don't want to lose someone because, unfortunately, the only role we have them is a management role, a, pe a people management role. Let's look at the utilize their excellence project management skills and technical abilities to improve our report writing, uh, look at new technology coming on board, you know, so, well, uh, you know, I know recently the guidelines have been issued for, um, um, you know, the use of, um, you know, uh, night vision uh, um, equipment and also, uh, you know, so people need to look at that, you know, what's the, what's the effect upon our company? What's the, so those technical people are really, really needed. So, Perhaps consider a lateral career progression as an option to help innovate your company. No, it's your company. Let these people innovate and make sure you know your career, your, your company actually grows. Finally, let all your people go. <laughs> so what do I mean by that? You know, just tell me to keep them. Well, um, you've invested in their career development and they're here to, there to support you. But now you've got to trust them to get on with the work. Just let go of that vine. As Gina Whitman describes in his excellent book, uh, oh, it's a brilliant book. This is uh, Gina Whitman Traction. It's a fantastic book. There's other books by Gina Whitman, you know, Rocket Fuel, uh, to have a look at as well. But as an employer, particularly if you are one of the senior managers, 
you've gotten used to taking control and leading from the front, but at some point, you really do need to let your team go. It's a bit like having a child, really. You know, you've got to let them sort of fail uh, and find out their own ways to resolve those issues or find out the problems or why something failed. You're there as a, you know, as a, you know, a support uh, for them, but, you know, you can't just make all the decisions for them. Just because it's not done, just because they don't do it your way doesn't mean it's the wrong way of doing things. And this is about the mindset of a manager and, and a leader. You need to actually be open, uh, you know, an open mindset. So we want to build a better team, you know, you know, and also I think our role as managers is to build better or they build, you know, create better managers, encourage better managers and great leaders. And yes, they are likely to be better at that role than you. Okay, they're going to be better than you. And is that such a terrible thing? You want you wanted to build a better team and you want to take away some of the burden you've accumulated over the years. Well, here's your chance to shine. People remember you for either being a bad boss or an awesome boss. Now, bad bosses look after themselves, whilst an awesome boss looks after others and will grow a company far quicker than the former will. What a legacy you're going to leave behind if you let people shine. So... There we go. You know, there you have it. You know, just almost an hour. So there you have it. Hopefully that's given you some inspiration as an employee to consider using your voice, examine your loyalty and explore alternatives. And for employers to look at keeping extraordinary talent through open, honest and frequent communication and support. Now, please do make use of the comment section on your podcast platform and let me know what you agree or disagree with uh, in this episode. And finally, if you'd like to receive support, either as an employee or an employer, you know, then reach out uh, to me and connect and message me on either LinkedIn or you can email me directly at richard at ecologyacademy.co.uk. So, yeah, there we go. Uh, as I say, do let us know how you feel about this. You know, it's, it's quite an emotive subject. You know, have you left your company? Why did you leave your company? Were you supported? Did you burn those bridges as an employer? What do you look for in an employee when they do terminate their position? How do you retain great talent? Um, let's, let's open that discussion up. And I say, I say, I'm there to support you. You know, if you need that support, I say, just reach out to me. Either say LinkedIn or that email address, Richard at EcologyAcademy.co.uk. But for now, thanks so much for listening to me on the Ecology Academy podcast. If you enjoy our show and want to help, then please click on the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcast player, as that's how you can inspire ecologists in the making, help retain great talent, and provide insights of our industry to a much wider audience of why ecology really does matter. Thank you. And remember, learning is a lifelong endeavour, so stay curious, be adventurous, and build bridges for others to cross. 